You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcasts, and I have Elle Russ. Uh, she's an author of the Paleo Thyroid Solution and Thyroid Guide. Uh, Elle, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. I appreciate you coming. Um, so tell me, uh, what what made you decide to write this book? What kinds of uh, thyroid misadventures have you had in your life? <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, I never, I, I was a writer before that, but I was never interested in writing a health-related book. It just wasn't my thing until I suffered greatly from hypothyroidism. I had two very serious bouts in a decade, and during that time, not one doctor would help me. And when I say that, I mean that no doctors I went to actually knew what test to take. They didn't know how to treat it if the tests were wrong. They misdiagnosed me, and I was left undiagnosed and on a, in a really bad place for about two years. And so I actually took my health into my own hands. The reason I became an expert is because I actually ended up dosing myself back to health without a doctor. And mm. since then, I've just uh, moved on. I do have a doctor on the book, um, you know, for, for credit's sake there. But yeah, so that's actually how I became an expert in the in this field. So uh, when someone has thyroid trouble, uh, what are the possible things that they've, they'll experience? Or what did you experience? And what did they tend to get I misdiagnosed as? Um, well, I had over 30 symptoms, but let me go into the misdiagnosis first. So first of all, you could get diagnosed with bipolar or depression. If anyone is diagnosed with that, you check the thyroid first because there's more thyroid hormone T3 receptors in our brain than anywhere else. And you can take Prozac for three months, but then it won't work because you never got to the problem. Another one is, oh my God, your cholesterol is so bad, we need to give you a statin. Check the thyroid. The thyroid is absolutely responsible for the ability to burn fats properly. So oftentimes when people have subpar thyroid hormone levels, then they are not able to process that properly and their lipid panels look bad and the doctor gets concerned. Another one is high blood pressure. High blood pressure is often insulin resistance and hypothyroidism goes hand in hand with that. So that's another one. Almost anything, and I'll tell you why, because the thyroid is the master gland of the human body, period, end of story. You cannot live without one, you will die. So the people that have had their thyroid removed, they will die unless they take thyroid hormones. It is responsible for the production and regulation of all of your sex hormones, our metabolism, and everything else. So other misdiagnoses, polycystic ovarian syndrome, I was misdiagnosed with that as well. Anything uh, gynecological related, infertility, miscarriages, things like that. 
um, fibroids, endometriosis, anything that manifests itself there for women. With men, it would be uh, also similar symptoms that I'll mention in a minute, but also could be low testosterone issues and issues in that category with exhaustion. The most common symptoms that people experience are brain fog, depression, uh, exhaustion, inability to lose weight. And then again, I had a host of about 30 symptoms, which I mentioned in my book from restless legs to heavy legs, to hair falling out, to extreme constipation that no amount of laxatives will take care of, to cracked in, you know, acne, dry skin, bloated. Um, yeah, just, just, there's just, God, there's so many of them. Inner itching of the ears, uh, tinnitus even, which is related sometimes to low ferritin, low DHEA, and hypothyroidism. That's crazy. So there, yeah, that's there's really a whole ton of stuff. Yeah. So basically, any problem anyone has, you go right to the thyroid and you check that first because that is the master of what will get screwed up and not. And if that's okay, then you can start to patch and look at other things. But what happens is, is that people go in with a symptom. Okay, so when you're hypothyroid, you're in a disease state. And you're, you will get something you otherwise would not have gotten. So then the doctor will try to patch that thing up that you're coming in to complain about that has showed up because you've been come hypo. And they just look at your exhaustion symptoms and whatever, and they go, okay, well, whatever, because oftentimes they're not taking the right thyroid test. So they take the wrong thyroid test from 1973. They say, your thyroid's fine. It must be this. And it's not. So what she has ha happened is you have a doctor doing a bunch of patchwork on you, and they never actually looked at the very simple simple problem to fix, which is thyroid problems, because they're just not testing and evaluating it correctly. So it's really well, a, dumb, let's, let's, a dumb let's, epidemic. Let's talk about the tests. Let's talk about the tests. Yep. What tests are commonly done and what are the factors? Is it T3, T3, T4, reverse T, whatever? And what are the things they should look for that they're not looking for? What they... Well, here's what they should look for. And everyone can go to my free thyroid guide on my website and you can just download all these tests and, and see, okay, what are the ones to get? Oftentimes in the past, the failure has been that doctors test either TSH only or they test TSH and T4. If you are with a doctor or have been with a doctor that just tests those two things, you are with an uninformed doctor that has no idea what they're talking about with regards to thyroid health. The people that do know what they're talking about test the following. TSH, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and then you always rule out Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune form of thyroid disorder. So there's two Hashimoto's antibody tests. And the reason I say that is because most doctors only test for one, and you could be positive for both or one and not the other. So it's important to get both. And those tests are TPO antibody, which stands for thyroid peroxidase antibody, or TG antibody, which stands for thyroid globulin antibody. So those are the six main does this person have a problem? And then there's peripheral tests, of course. B12, vitamin D, you know, uh, ferritin, which is iron storage. There's all sorts of a relatable tests, but those are basically the main six. Do you think you have hypothyroidism? You get those tests. That will pretty much tell you what the answer is. How prevalent is um, thyroid issues? And are they growing, stable, declining? Um, they're increasing, and the more difficult kind is increasing, which is reverse T3, which uh, more doctors even know less about. It's an epidemic. There's 200 million people in the world that have it. It's the number one prescription in our country. 23 plus million Americans have it in the U.S. So it's pretty bad. And there's a lot of people that are on thyroid hormones that are still not doing well because they're still being mismanaged or misdosed or mistreated by their doctor, or they're missing some other primordial like biological baseline uh, factor, like a, a nutrient deficiency or something else that is not being looked at. So 
I guess the main point in all of this is if someone diagnoses you with anything, but particularly with hypothyroidism, you must learn everything you need to know about it, just like I did. Because you may actually know more about your doctor, but at the very least, you're going to be able to tell whether you're going and getting the right advice and the right treatment. So what are some of the things that you discovered that um, are never disclosed or surprising to you or useful in figuring out what to do? Um, well, for people that have Hashimoto's, it's very, but this is one thing that most people don't know about Hashimoto's. So you can have Hashimoto's and you could be living well on thyroid hormone replacement, meaning you don't have any symptoms and you're living your life. And every time you get your blood test once or twice a year, it shows that you have antibodies like the TPO antibodies or the thyroid globulin antibodies. <clears throat> and most doctors will look at that and they go, okay, well, the antibodies are there because you have Hashimoto's and it seems like everything's good. So see you later. What they don't know is that you can actually do something about those antibodies and you want to do something about those antibodies. The reason they fail in not knowing is because part of that's nutrition. We know for sure that gluten triggers Hashimoto's antibodies. It also triggers rheumatoid arthritis antibodies as well. So any autoimmune disorder, grain-free, but particularly gluten is an important factor, particularly with Hashimoto's. Other Hashimoto's patients have realized that following a strict autoimmune paleo protocol, which is a pretty strict way of eating, can absolutely reduce antibodies. And that goes further than just gluten. For example, there's Hashimoto's patients that get very affected by foods high in histamines, like cinnamon. And cinnamon is in a lot of things, and people wouldn't know that. Another thing is, even if you're not allergic to eggs or have no blood tests to say that you have a problem with it, that still can be a factor sometimes for people and worth a 30-day elimination to see what's going on there. The other food factor as well would be foods um, nightshades, other foods that have red color seasoning in them, like cayenne or paprika. And these can all be found out online by Googling the, the, you know, paleo autoimmune protocol or the AIP and looking into that. And that's something that takes personal experimentation. And that's for people that do have autoimmune disorders. So that's kind of a, a one that most people don't know about. And people will hear and they go, oh my God, I'm eating cinnamon every day. I had no idea. And it's like that, you know, so those are little tricks that aren't necessarily on a standard healthy elimination kind of diet that you might otherwise think about. So what if you just have, um, and it's not just, but if you have hypothyroidism and you just feel like crap or you have these other problems, how do you get yourself back? Do you have to supplement with thyroid hormone or can you encourage your body to produce more? You can encourage your body to, to, to have it turn around. Absolutely. Um, there's, a, there's natural protocols in my book. And then it's like, you can go however you lo long you want on that. For example, um, heavy metals affect mitochondrial function. They affect reverse T3, Lyme's disease, and a resurgence of Epstein-Barr. These things can be antagonistic to thyroid. There's lots of investigations that you could go through with a functional doctor to find out what caused my thyroid problem. For example, living in a place with mold, black mold, can ignite Hashimoto's in someone who has never had it before. So there's environmental factors. There's there's, you know, eating too much crappy fish filled with mercury problems. There's all sorts of stuff. But the bottom line is, how long have you been suffering? Because if you've been suffering a long time and never got any of those answers or haven't been able to even figure out what those answers could be, then you might want to go on thyroid hormone. If you've only been suffering a little bit of time, it's how long the person wants to see how they can try to bring it back naturally. You can do it in six to eight weeks. I have seen people really turn around their health, their body, their hair, everything in six to eight weeks of following a strict protocol, it just turns out they needed some nutrients to be optimized and, you know, needed to cut out some food. Sometimes it's that simple. And other times it's not. And you get to that point and it still doesn't work. The labs aren't better. And at that point, you can go on thyroid hormone replacement. Now, that will get you 
out of hypothyroidism and you'll be like a normal person at some point, assuming it's done correctly. And then from that platform of wellness, not being hypo, being on the right amount of thyroid hormone, then you can have the energy and wherewithal to go down the rabbit hole of testing all the things that might have caused you in the first place, cleaning them up. And then at that point, you can try to get off thyroid hormone. And it could take up to three months to recalibrate a thyroid, but it has happened. It can happen. Half my thyroid came back after 13 years of being fully suppressed. I still take thyroid hormone replacement, but it's a lot less. So, and it doesn't matter if you have to fully replace your thyroid or not. So it's not that once you get on thyroid hormone, you're on it forever. You might be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's also this gray area where someone's been sick for a while, depleted, riddled with black mold, who knows what caused all these problems. And they're so unwell that the only thing that's really going to pick them back up is thyroid hormone. Then they get to a place of wellness. They clean out all the toxicity. Then from that point, you are better, and then you can decide, do you want in the future to try to get off of it? And then that's a whole different protocol. So those are sort of the options that are available. But absolutely, things are turnaroundable naturally. What about the um, the thyroid hormone itself? I mean, there's like Synthroid, which I think is just pure T4 or T3, and then there's Armor, which is a mixture. What's your recommendation there and why? Uh, my recommendation for anyone going on thyroid hormone replacement is that a combination of T4, T3 is the best option, and it's the most endocrine mimicry. So um, what does that mean? So Synthroid is T4 only. And it's usually not the most optimal uh, choice uh, because our bodies don't actually just rely on conversion alone. Our bodies actually do dispense of a little bit of a T3. The best choice for most people initially is natural desiccated thyroid, which is Urfa in Canada, Armour or Nature Thyroid in the United States. I mean, they have it almost everywhere in every country. Now, for those people who, for religious reasons or otherwise, aren't cool with chopped up desiccated pork gland, then you would get compounded T4, T3 from a compounding pharmacy, and it would be in the exact same ratios that the natural desiccated comes in, and they just formulate it there, and they it's not from pigs. So that's those are the first two options I would go to, and then Synthroid can sometimes work for people, but it often fails them after many years, and again, likely because it's non-endocrine mimicry. And also, I want to make this note that the doctor on my book, and I've talked to a couple of other doctors who have said the same thing, if you're on levothyroxine, which is T4 only, that's the generic or that's the drug name for T4, the brand name is Synthroid. If you're on generic levothyroxine, it would behoove you to get to the brand name Synthroid. I have heard too many terrible stories. The doctor on my book is a functional doctor. He treats cancer patients, chemo, all that stuff. But the one prescription he never, ever, ever writes generic is T4. He always does Synthroid. He's seen wacky thyroid levels up and down, liver enzymes being affected negatively, and I've heard that from other doctors. So at the very least, if you're out there, if you're already on level thyroxine, you might want to switch to the brand name. That could be a problem. Um, the last choice, the last resort for thyroid hormone replacement is T3 only, and that's what I take. Well, yeah, I've heard that armor and some of the, you know, the pig thyroids and all that, you don't know the exact ratio of T4 to T3, so it may not be good to take, or is that just that's BS? Absolutely, it's absolutely BS and untrue, and any endocrinologist who says, oh, that's for pigs, not humans, it's absolutely a lie. It's absolutely standard processed, okay, and and we know exactly how much T4 and T3 is in now, when you say desiccated, we're talking about natural desiccated thyroid that is usually prescribed, even though people can buy it online without a prescription. I'm not talking about glandulars. I'm not talking about a bottle of like beef chopped up, you know, thyroid. Like it's got to be 
an actual real medication from from a lab. Like, you know, I mean, some people are, are take glandulars you can get over the counter to store. That's not the same thing. Um, natural desiccated thyroid is absolutely consistent. And each one grain or 60 milligram pill of any desiccated is uh, 38 micrograms of T4 and about nine micrograms of T3. That's just standard process. So any doctor or anyone who says that about natural desiccated is wrong. If they're saying that about some glandular you got over the counter somewhere at a health food store, yeah, that I don't know. Have you, uh, what, what have you heard from people that just were taking T4 and they started taking a mixture of T4 and T3? What did they experience? Usually better health because the reason they went from a T4 to T3 combo is because the T4 was not doing it for them. We, we again, as humans, our bodies, when it's working right, will pump out some T4 and some T3. Now, it'll pump out more T4 than T3, but again, our bodies do not completely rely on conversion of T4 to T3 alone. So having a combination of T4 to T3 in any given dose is really the way to go. The problem with Synthroid or the problem with T4 only is not only just the lack of T3, it sometimes fails people after a while or fails to convert. But what they're really likely missing is getting some of that direct T3, which is mostly, which is more endocrine mimicry in, in line with our bodies. But when you say it fails them, what, what happens and what does that do to them? Well, it stops working or it, it, it has issues with converting. That also might not be a problem with the actual medication as it is with the health of that human and perhaps nutrient deficiencies that they have going on. Um, T4 is, let me just explain what happened with T4. Back in the 1800s, a guy, an English physician, all these people had goiters. They had like, you know, large thyroid glands and he extracted sheep thyroid gland and injected into people and it helped. Thus, he discovered natural desiccated thyroid. In the 50s, Drug companies could not patent desiccated thyroid. So what did they do? They came up with Synthroid and T4. Then they trashed T3 with, you know, they trashed natural desiccated with propaganda. Then they claimed T4 was the one only answer that anyone should ever have for thyroid issues. Of course, it's patentable. We have to consider that. And then basically doctors from then on out and endocrinologists kind of became Synthroid Nazis. And that was like their only method of treatment. Well, then that started to fail people after a while. Doctors didn't understand. And the ones that were awesome doctors who were still geeking out and finding answers went above and beyond and are like, why are my patients who are on Synthroid still hating it, still not doing well? What is going on here? And thus came the resurgence of desiccated in the past 15, 20 years. And people have literally gotten off of Synthroid and gotten onto armor or desiccated or some combination of T4, T3 and really have like woken up. All that matters is what the labs say and what the person feels like. So right. you can give, here's the thing, you can give a patient all the T4 you want. If it's not converting, it doesn't matter. It's useless. So there's that issue and also just getting some direct T3. Yeah, so can you get, if you're just, if you're taking a Synthroid, can you uh, get T3? And if you do, would you have, to, I guess you'd have to then lower the amount of T4 you take because some of it gets converted, right? Not necessarily. It just Most. depends. I mean, you can take a yeah, you can take Synthroid and, and people do that. They take T4 and T3 together, um, mm. meaning meaning it's not from it's not desiccated, right? So it's not pork based. It's not pig based. They just take T4 and T3 together, usually in the same combination though, in the same ratios that desiccated okay. would go in. That's usually the way people do it. Huh. Okay. So it depends. depends. If someone's on fifty, if someone's on fifty micrograms, but that's not. There's people that are on 175 micrograms of T4. So if someone's on fifty micrograms of T4, it really would just depend on their individual situation to see how much T3 do you add, or do you lower that, 
you know, do you lower that T4 and T3? It depends on their personal situation. Everything can be catered to the patient. There are people that take right. a little bit of natural desiccated every morning, and then they take T3 throughout the day. There are people that take mostly T4 and a little T3. You know, it just it just really depends. Gotcha. Hmm. Well, if you're taking um, just T4 and you have blood tests done, uh, I don't know if it's, maybe it's getting too specific, but would you see like a, a lack of T3 on the blood test? Uh, would you, what would you see that would tell you, oh, it's not converting? Well, what would tell you that it was not converting or that it was converting into the thing? Well, first of all, there's a couple things. If the T, if the free T3 level still is not to where it needs to be to, for that person to feel good, then the answer might not be giving them more T4 at that point. It would be adding mm. T3. To see whether or not it's converting or not, that's the reverse T3 test. And we do a ratio between the reverse T3 and the free T3. And if that ratio is 20 or higher, you're good. If it's 17, that's not a need to go directly to T3 only as a medication, but it is a sign that things are not converting great and that's time to take selenium, like 400 micrograms a day at that point, because selenium is a very key nutrient in the conversion of T4 to T3. So that's what I would do. Now, if that ratio, if that ratio is really low, like it's you're, you've got horrible symptoms and the ratio is like 11, which mine was, that is an indication, that is a call for the possibility of that person getting put on T3 only. And the reason is right. the only thing that doesn't convert into reverse T3 is T3. T4 is the only thing that converts into reverse T3 and reverse T3 is the inactive form. So that's why you have to get those main four tests. Forget the two antibody tests I talked about, that's a total of six, but the main four has reverse T3 in it for a reason. And let me say this, reverse T3 is a marker of wellness and unwellness in any person's body. Someone who's got morning sickness who's pregnant, that's a reverse T3 issue. Someone who's training for a marathon, over-exercising, starving themselves, maybe they're really skinny, they might get a reverse T3 problem naturally because the body is like, oh my God, this person's starving and running from danger. We're going to downregulate this shiz because we do not want this person to be hypermetabolic or get any more of the fat-burning T3 because they can't eat right now. So starvation mm. and excess dieting can induce hypothyroidism. The mm. thyroid gland is really responding to everything that we do think, say, whatever, it's, it's, it's trying to protect us in any moment. And that's what reverse T3 is there for. It's the body's emergency break to go, uh-oh, something's wrong. Because let's say you get cancer, an infection, Lyme disease, whatever. Now you've got this foreign invader, there's inflammation, there's issues going on. Naturally, the thyroid is going to downregulate because T3 is the metabolic powerhouse. So it's going to downregulate and convert some of that T4 into, T, into the inactive form to save you. Because it doesn't want to throw more fire onto the leg you just got severed in the accident that you just had. Mm. With that. So it's, it's this interesting feedback loop. And you do want that conversion. That's a lovely, lovely feedback loop that we have. It's very elegant. But sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes right. you have heavy metals. Sometimes I had reverse T I've been on T3 only for, I don't know, maybe six, seven years now because I had a very serious reverse T3 problem. And it took a long time to kind of get to the bottom of it. And the only thing that saves a patient in that scenario of reverse T3 that cannot be corrected, no matter what you do, is T3 only. And that's why it's there. Now, most doctors have no idea how to dose T3. They will tell you it's dangerous. They don't want to do it. Most people won't prescribe it. They'll tell you that you're going to give yourself a heart attack, which is what I was told. So many misconceptions. Now, the doctors that are in the know understand T3 and are not afraid of it. But a lot of doctors are because T4 is the storage horm hormone for it. And it's kind of is a steady dispensary. You can think of it as a slow release. So doctors like that because it's steady. It's got a much longer half-life. T3 is pretty 
volatile. It, it's not volatile, but it's it's pretty quack acting. It peaks and dissipates mm. within you know four or five hours. And so doctors don't like that. They don't like the fact that a patient might go without some, or what if they get into an accident, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, that's a whole nother well, so, so how but, do you find a doctor that uh, is willing to talk to you about all this stuff, or do you just have to search and hope? I mean, is there any, do they have a designation that tells you that uh, they'd be more open to this stuff? Well, if you download the free thyroid guide on my website, there is a link to a group that provides a good doctor list compiled by thyroid patients all over the country. And they give a synopsis, like this doctor understands reverse T3, this doctor doesn't. Um, You know, also as well, you have to ask the right questions. That's also in my thyroid guide. How do you know that you're not going to waste your money and your one visit on your PPO with this doctor? You can call and ask some questions. Hey, do they prescribe Natural desiccated thyroid to the patients? Nope, Synthroid only. Well, guess what? Keep moving on. That's an uninformed doctor. You know, hey, does your doctor right. test re- reverse T3? Do they have anyone on T3 only? Do they know how to? There's so many questions you can ask before you get in there, and even then, so you might get chumped. I have done a lot of pre-work before and gone in and still realized that that doctor had no idea what they were talking about. So, you know, oh. it is a crapshoot a little bit. Some of the ways to look at it are to find a doctor that really knows what they're talking about. You are really looking for a couple things, a truly integrative physician, a DO, doctor of osteopathic medicine, a functional medicine doctor, or anti-aging doctors. Those are the ones that usually don't take insurance, so they're more expensive, but they spend an hour to an hour and a half with you, and they understand and are usually up on the latest stuff. Not always, though, and that's why no matter what, you have to educate yourself on this, no matter what. So, you know, that's why I provided the book as well. It's to really educate patients and arm them with the knowledge so that they can find the right doctor. And then look, what if you find a great doctor, but then he retires, you got to know what you're doing. So you can ask questions beforehand. And, you know, some doctors are open. And if they don't know something, they're open to work in quote, practice medicine with you, because this is the practice of medicine. Um, Doctors usually operate under being uh, under fear of being sued. That is not how somebody should practice medicine. Yeah, that's true. How often do you uh, work with people that have had uh, thyroid cancer and what are some of the issues that, you know, you run into there? Yeah, here's the issues. So uh, lots of people. So thyroid cancer um, is the best cancer to have if you catch it early because you just remove the gland and then you're done. So it's actually kind of a, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> if you're going to have cancer, that's probably one of the better ones. So usually what happens in thyroid cancer is they remove the thyroid gland. Okay or part of it, but usually right. they remove it. So now in that case, that person has to go on thyroid hormone replacement. And now we run into the same problems that anyone would be on thyroid hormone replacement. Are they on the right dose? Is it converting? Because I guarantee you most thyroid cancer doctors who are surgeons who take out the thyroid, then they refer you to an endocrinologist. Endocrinologists yep. are usually Synthroid Nazis. So now that person's yep. gonna get put on Synthroid. They're not gonna test the free T3 and the reverse T3. And I have had so, I have a success story in my book who um, she did a video. I haven't put it up yet of her success of it. She had her thyroid removed. They gave her Synthroid. Again, she ran into all these problems. She was feeling awful, thought there was no hope for her. And she just needed to get on the right combination and dosage of thyroid hormones and work on some other underlying stuff in order to receive it and metabolize it properly. And she's fine now, but she struggled all that time. So again, Going down the cancer surgery route, you're going to end up with those doctors, and those doctors are mostly steeped in ego, and they're going to want to – endocrinologists, again, only classically test TSH and T4. And even if they test T3, they don't even really look at it. Yeah. 
Well, that, that, all right, brings me up to another question. Uh, TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, what is that? How does it play a role in all of this? And maybe even thyroglobulin, if that applies, or not at least just the TSH. Sure, TSH is called thyroid stimulating hormone. It's a 1973 test um, that should never be used alone to judge someone's thyroid health ever, ever, ever. If you're listening to this and someone told you you did or didn't have a thyroid problem based on a TSH test, you got to run from that doctor. You're the wrong person. So TSH is called thyroid stimulating hormone. It is not a thyroid hormone at all. Not at all. All it is is a pituitary signal. It's a signal. And what does it do? The TSH is like a little bit of a monitoring, I call it like, like a sensor. And basically when it senses that your blood is low in thyroid hormones, it will shoot off a signal to the thyroid that says, yo, 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 wake up. So if someone takes a TSH test and it's very high, that's an indication of the brain screaming at the thyroid, wake up, oh my God, give her thyroid hormones, she's dying. Mm. Um, sometimes, like for example, usually the range for TSH is like <clears throat> say zero to five, just to make it easy. Some people are yeah. just at five or six, some people are at 150, it just depends how badly Holy your brain shit. is dying for it. I've seen, I've seen them that high and I, that person was practically wow. dead. Now that person with 156 TSH had zero T3 and zero T4, nothing. Her doctor and I can see I how it could, said, how are you alive? Yeah. Yeah. I can see so how, you know, low, if you have a high TSH, maybe that tells you that your T4 is not being converted, or is that wrong thinking? That's wrong thinking. What that is telling is that there's an indication of some type of thyroid and you need to take other tests. So where, where it becomes problematic okay. is, so for example, here's why it's not a good indicator. The TSH is fluctuating all the time. So let's say I just worked out and then I went and got my blood tested. That TSH might be 3.5 and a doctor might be like, oh my God, that's a little bit high. I don't know. No. Did you look at all the other tests? Did you talk to me about my symptoms? You're just going to diagnose me with something based on a, and prescribe me something based on a signal that fluctuates. Right. Also, some people, because of hypothyroidism going the other way, meaning induced by euthyroidic syndrome, like starvation or under eating or any of that kind of stuff. Or in general, sometimes, like my TSH, when I was hypothyroid, it was always low. I always had like a low TSH. So if the TSH was in range and the doctor goes, oh, you're fine, they're not even looking at the thing that matters. They're just looking at one little portion of it. And it's not always 156 to give you the answer. And even then, so that's not the answer. You would still need to test the other thing. So gotcha. that's kind of where TSH. So that's the bane of every thyroid patient's existence that have happened because people are still using the TSH to tell you whether or not you have a problem. That's why I was undiagnosed for two years because the doctor says your thyroid's fine. And he was just basing that on a TSH test. Had he taken my free T3, it would have been below the range and he would have, and, and they would have discovered it. Finally, I had someone test me properly after two years and they're like, holy crap, you're hypothyroid. Yeah, thanks very much. Two years that took me. To, to get just a, a test correct. So, so again, yeah. the 1973 test, it's not a thyroid hormone. It's just one little snapshot of a signal. Uh, Web, how about uh, thyroglobulin? Is that meaning, meaningful well, at all to anyone or only when it's yeah, cancer? Or? Yeah, well thyroid, glo well, thyroid globulin and Hashimoto uh, and the other one, which is um, uh, TPO. So, Antibodies equal inflammation equal be getting more problems. And people with high antibodies, particularly the thyroid globulin one, that's the one you don't want. If you have to have one of the two, you'd probably prefer to have the TPO just because the thyroid globulin can lead to more issues and uh, higher, you know, percentages of, you know, getting other diseases and cancers. But one of the reasons why, again, you want to do something about these antibodies, whether you're on thyroid hormone or not, 
um, is because antibodies equal inflammation equal be getting more autoimmune issues. And women who have high Hashimoto's antibodies are more inclined to give birth to uh, children with uh, autism and other stuff. So, so there's a lot of issues with having antibodies of any kind, but, you know, particularly those two with Hashimoto's is something you really want to try to do your best. Now, one of the things other than diet, lifestyle, and thyroid hormone that can help with that is something called low-dose naltrexone. And taken in very low doses at night, um, and the doctor talks about this in my book, it can help lower antibodies of all kinds, uh, of, of all sorts of kinds, but particularly Hashimoto's. So sometimes people need a little extra help there to get the antibodies down and under control so their body can be inflamed. That is one choice. And low-dose naltrexone is a drug, I believe, used for drug addicts or alcoholics. Like it's something, I forget exactly which of its drugs or if it's alcohol, but it's, it's related to that. And you just take a little bit at night, and that really does help. Um, get down antibodies with people. So it's just another option if you can't do it through these other means. Okay. Well, very good. I mean, a lot going on. So um, if someone has, you know, a whole host of symptoms, you're saying, you know, take a look at your thyroid first. And then, uh, so what's the, what, what path should they go on? Should they first get the book and then look at the list of physicians and go to them? Or, you know, what do you recommend I, people do? I know it depends on their circumstance, but. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I also coach people, but basically, I mean, one of the things I did is I spent so much money that I didn't have at the time with all of these useless doctors and I wasted so much money. And so that's why I have the free thyroid guide. There's a lot of great, you just go to my website, down, there's a tab, it's a free thyroid guide, just download it. That should get you on the right path. And if you want more information, yes, go ahead and buy my book. Um, but you don't have to buy my book to get a lot of what you need to move forward. And that was my intention, because while selling books is great, I'm actually more in the game of helping people not get screwed like I did. You know, people live yeah. sometimes 20, 30 years without a doctor ever figuring this out. And you can only imagine mm. those people who look back on their lives and have such regrets that they sit, they stayed sick for so long, you know, and they didn't need to. Actually, here's, here's one more question I forgot to ask. Sure. So let's say you, you run labs and you run all these things and you get them and they're within range, quote unquote, but they're in the lower high side. Should you still take action or should you say, oh, they're yeah. in range, I'm fine? No, in range is not fine. It doesn't matter what's in range. If, you're, if your vitamin D is in range, I don't care. Is it 30? Because that's really bad. And it should be between 70 and 90. You know, ferritin in range, is it 30? Well, on a scale of 10 to 150, most people should be between 50 and 100. Ferritin is iron storage, perfectly related to this, by the way. So B12 as well, is it in range or not? Nah, should be about 800. You know what I mean? Should be up there. So with regards to thyroid, it's the same thing too. You don't, um, and again, no one should go specifically by labs. You always go by labs and symptoms and diagnostics. Temp temperature is an important diagnostic. Uh, blood pressure and heart rate, those are good diagnostics. But essentially, the free T3 results almost always corresponds with how the person's feeling. If it's a reverse T3 situation, then the reverse T3 ratio between the reverse T3 and free T3 is usually corresponding with how the person's feeling. But assuming the person doesn't have a reverse T3 issue, the free T3 for normal human beings who are normal and have no problems and are feeling great, the free T3 mm -hmm. is usually mid-range. So if the range is 2.0 to 4.0, it's 3.0. Now, can you be a couple points below the range and still have symptoms? Yes. And be discounted by a doctor? Yes. So just because it's a little bit below or above, it's individual. Now, if you are anywhere below the mid-range, though, that usually is an indication, especially if you have mm. symptoms. If you have symptoms. Okay. 
Well, very good. Well, Al, you know, you got a ton of knowledge, and I encourage people that have issues you know, to check out your resources and what you mentioned, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, and don't anyone listening listen to someone that tells you just because you got diagnosed with hypothyroidism, you're always going to suffer from X, okay? That's just a doctor who mm-hmm. doesn't know how to get you better, so just don't lose hope. Keep persevering. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.